Here we are, the long-awaited. Uh, we've been talking about this for how many years? Do you think podcasting about the King Killer Chronicles? Well, since we first started podcasting in like 2005, 2006, and the book first came out in 2007, probably since we yeah. first read it. Yeah, the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and it is finally here. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, so we're going to be doing a full spoiler discussion. Uh, so this is not a safe place for beginners. This is not a safe place if you have not read the books and you value your life. Uh, you should not be here. Uh, and I think the plan, Brian, is to go through one chapter at a time. Um, we may alter that, but that's kind of where we have uh, landed. Uh, any thoughts on your end with that, modifying that? I think it's a great idea. I don't think that we're going to run into any chapters that really need two podcasts to go with them. Yeah. Um, I think that'll keep them a nice bite-sized length. Yeah, I think if anything, the uh, the opposite issue uh, came to my mind that some might be so short that it's like, oh, can we, should we tack on another? But but I kind of like the bite-sized uh, bite-sized idea. Absolutely, and I think this will probably be the shortest. Yep. I, I don't think there's any chapter shorter than the prologue no. for the first book. <laughs> I've got it, got it open on my screen. I'm zoomed in, and it is just uh, about a, <laughs> uh, two thirds of the page taking up, or two tr two thirds of the screen. Uh, but but what an intro. What do you think about this? Uh, just the, how he writes out of the gate. Did this catch you off guard? Do you remember your first time reading Name of the Wind? When I think back, and I do remember, I'm pretty sure I was a little put off by it, mm -hmm. believe it or not. Mm -hmm. I don't, I think it, it put my guard up yeah. because of the way it's written you know, the language that he uses here, it's real flowery, um, you know, riding that line between poetry and prose. And that's not normally what I like to read. I don't like a lot of flowery prose. Um, so I think when I first read it, I definitely was a little skeptical. It took me a while. That skepticism continued as on the first read through. Oh, really? Uh, of both books yeah. or just the, uh, just the first? I was in a phase with the first one. I was in a phase where I was being really critical of all the books we read. Um, you and I were working on our own writing project at the time. Uh -huh. And I, I don't know if that made me arrogant, but it certainly <laughs> made me more critical. Yeah. Um, and I remember also criticizing the frame narrative, just like, oh, that's a cheap way to write a book. That's cheating. That makes it easy. Uh-huh. Which, you know, looking back is all insane since it's literally my favorite series of all time. And I adore every one of his flowery words that he uses in the prologue and everywhere else. And I adore the frame narrative. But I do remember thinking that back then. Yeah. And, and we've talked about those, uh, both those aspects of it. And I'm like the opposite end of the spectrum because I'm definitely usually on the end of really enjoying kind of the uh, I guess overriding in some instances where it feels like overriding if it serves a purpose. Like I don't like it. Uh, I don't like it to be all flowery for the sake of being flowery. 
but I feel like he balances uh, intrigue in there with the, uh, the, the style of writing that he's got. Um, and it's something that I don't know, like I'm trying to think of some other examples where you don't like some of the fantasy stuff that I have liked in uh, years past with like big world building. Um, who's that author, that, that woman, Le Guin. Le Guin, yeah, which which I love some of her books, uh, but uh, it is definitely it's not as character driven. Yeah, the the best example of that type is Dune. Oh, you know, that I, I'm I'm yeah. not a big fan of the Dune books for the same exact reason. Yeah. It's just zoomed too far out. I don't get to travel with the characters enough. Yep. Yep. But we're here with the first character in the prologue, uh, good old Kvothe, and we don't, uh, we're not introduced uh, except by his true red hair, red as a flame. Uh, we're not introduced to him by name yet. I don't, I don't think. Um, but uh, let, let's talk about this this brief introduction. Uh, remind me because uh, uh, viewers may not be aware, but Brian is our, our resident scholar in all things King Chronicles. Uh, so I'll be playing catch up with the uh, the nitty gritty details. Uh, but is this silence of three part? Uh, is it the same exact prologue in the second book, or is it a modified version? It's not the same. It's modified, but he still he it still finishes with the same line and does the same frame with the three the silence of three parts. But the innards is a little different. Okay. In the first book, the second book, and the third book. Yeah, the the uh, elusive alleged third book. Do you do you know he read the prologue on Twitch? I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, he read the prologue not too long ago. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, yeah, um, and it was great. It was it was in the same style as these. Uh -huh. So when I say it's then the the same in the third book, I'm not just making that up or hoping. Oh, neat. Well, look at me. I'm behind already. Book three. It's 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 at least in uh, one chapter out there. <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about the intro here. Um, what uh, where do you want to start here? I've I've got our notes pulled up. Well, uh, I guess you know the 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 structure that we're talking about here is the whole silence of three parts and what's that's all about. Um, you know, and and he does list them out leading to the, the the great third silence um so the the first one um is yeah i think it's talking about an, a normal silence mm -hmm. but it's talking about things that would normally be there not being there and he mentions you know um uh, the wind and the crowd but then finishes with no music of course there was no music yeah yeah, which, as we know, music factors heavily into his life throughout the the book. So why would, of course, there be no music? It's one of the the big mysteries that we start with right here at the very beginning in like the first paragraph. Yeah, I highlighted that when I saw you uh, jot that down because it's it's such a, a huge part of his story, um, and. Uh, do we have, we're going to get into the Waystone Inn further as the chapters uh, open here in weeks to come. Is there no hint of his instrument 
uh, I know we've got his sword or whatever that's behind the bar eventually that we see. Uh, do, do we have no hint of an instrument in the inn at all? That sword is not actually Cesara. Um, it's a different sword. We don't have the explanation for what it is, but it's not the one that he carried around. As far as musical instruments grow, go, I don't think there's, I'm, I'm pretty positive, there's no... At least no mention um, of it. Loot, mm-hmm. No mention of yeah. it at all being in the Waystone Inn. Um, you know, I, I think this, of course, there was no music line, is the first step of setting a tone that Rothfuss really wants everybody to have, which is uh, he wants you to understand that this place where Coat, formerly Quoth, is now, is the end. This is this is how it's going to end up. It's not a happy ending to this story. He's sad and broken. He's lost what he had before. And Rothfuss, I think, wants you to know that right out of the gate. And he does it pretty good uh, starting here and then just in our whole experience with Coat at the end where he, you see little glimpses of maybe this is his former self and then he's immediately back into kind of his depressed, uh, just downtrodden state. Uh, do you, you think he is? Yeah, and it's a little frenetic at the beginning. It's a little mm-hmm. off and on, especially through the first book. And Rothfuss has said there... The first book's a little rough. So while it's canon, he says there's a little, you know, he what he said before is that he probably would have written it a little different. Hmm. Um, so what, what I mean by that is there's some character inconsistency stuff where Quoth is broken, right? And he's lost his abilities. He's lost his music. He's lost all the things that we learn he gains in the story. But then he still does some pretty badass stuff mm-hmm. in the beginning. Um so Rothfuss has sort of said, well, yeah, that's not a great fit. But um, so, but by saying that, he's letting us know clearly that, yeah, this man is broken. And we're going to find out how we got to this point. And fast forwarding way to the end, do you think it's really going to end as dismally as we're led it to believe? Great question. I mean, that, Nobody that really kills me to think about. Like, oh, it certainly looks that way with, with the state Me, that he is in here. I, yeah, I hate it too. Um, and for a long time, I was kind of in denial about mm-hmm. it, you know, um, on one of my early rereads. Um, you know, I assume, no, we're not going to actually end here. But I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but something, maybe something Pat said, um, or maybe just the fact that the books really reiterate the finality of the situation here. I mean, they're telling you this is the end. The, the words on the page tell you this is where we're headed. This is the end. Um, now, I, I personally hope that, that Doors of Stone comes out and he ends at the Waystone Inn and then uh, uh, get unannounced unannounced fourth book starts starting a second trilogy or something where it's like both after the end, you know, that, that would be best for me, but we have no reason to believe that's going to happen. No, cer- certainly nothing. Uh, and, and with the state of how many years it's been now in between two and three, you, you got to kind of think it's going to be, he's going to be done with it once he gets this one out there. Uh, he says he's going to write more in the world. In the, so, the world of, yeah. 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 We shall see. 
So you want to move on to the second silence? Um, yep. The second silence, it's short. It's almost a, a throwaway, like he was looking for a filler, but there's a little bit, no, little nugget in there. Um, it talks about the, the two guys that are in the bar drinking and avoiding serious discussions of troubling news. And that added a, a small silence um, to the, to the three silences. So what we are picking up on there is the troubling news, which has, is mentioned a lot in the frame, but we really don't like in the backstory that both telling the chronicler, we don't know how we get to the troubling news where, you know, we've got the King being killed. We've got the um, penitent King's war. I think that's, that's what it's called. Um, in the frame, we've got the Scrail coming in. How the hell did Scrail come in? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not something that we see anywhere in the regular world throughout the backstory. So when they're silent about the big news of the world there, that's there's some significance in that small silence there, that these are troubled times, and there aren't troubled times in the story that Kvothe's telling, so what's going to happen? It adds to that weight, that ominous feeling. Something's going to happen that's going to take a regular world and turn it into a troubled world. And we've got to believe that Quoth is at the very center of that too. You know, further reason why he's so downtrodden here is he's probably a linchpin in what has broken the world, so to speak, um, to to bring it to this point. It's called the King Killer Chronicle. Bada bing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing else really for me to add on that. And then you go into the third silence here. Um, which is basically another flowery paragraph zooming in to the man himself. Um, and and this is, is, is this the line that is repeated in all of the prologues, the, the ending of it, um, where it is, oh, on the next screen, the patient cut flower sound of a man who is waiting to die. It is, and just hearing you read it, I get a little shiver. Uh-huh. I love it, uh-huh. and I normally am not moved by words like that. This last part, which is about half the prologue, yeah, it's all focused on both. And that uh, something about the writing, this is where I turn back to the writing yeah. and the words that he chose, because something about it just works for me. There's a rhythm to it where you build up and you feel, and then you, you hit it at the end there with that perfect perfect uh metaphor he does there which is weird as hell it was the patient cut flower sound of a man who's waiting to die but something about that i just love it the cut flower sound uh-huh. i mean because you can picture it you know you, you picture that that petal yep with i don't know scissors going through it or something of course it's super silent it's not going to make any noise i i love it well and furthermore after you've read book two where they go to that tree with those leaves that mm. that cut. I've, I think about that on my rereads. I picture leaves straight off of that. I forget the name of that tree. Um, but, but from that scene uh, of them falling and him making his way towards the trunk. I can't remember the name of the tree either. It's, it's when he's down there with uh, Tempe and the, the Ademre. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I never, I never drew that connection there because I have such a strong image in my head yeah. of the, the pedal being cut and the, the, the complete anti-noise of it. Uh-huh. 
is the the soul of Kvothe that's just waiting to die. And I mean, so we're we're finishing there with, you know, where he was alluding to it and creating an atmosphere of ominousness and foreboding before. Here it is right in your face. Mm-hmm. He's waiting to die. Pretty epic way to start. What other uh what other thoughts you got on on here? I mean that's that's most of the important stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some some nuggets, you know, some questions like why did he why did he name it the Waystone Inn? It's a pretty cool name. Maybe he just liked it. Oh yeah, because those um, I was going to ask you about the Waystones. We see those at a few times when he's traveling. Doesn't his troop stop at one when all the all the crap goes down? And his parents are yeah. dead. Is that at a Waystone? Uh, Probably. So I, I, I was trying to remember this earlier. Um, and honestly, I get stuff confused with the gray stones in, uh, in the uh, Wheel of Time. But yeah, no, the, the one thing I remember for sure is I'm pretty sure in, in this story, both mentioned several times that when you come to a waystone, that's where you make camp. That's what it is. Yeah. And like not even in, for any practical reason, but almost a... Um, an old-timey honorific reason where um, oh, we're at the stone and we honor it by stopping and making camp here. And so this is his this is his final camp then as he's waiting to die. There you go. Boom. Put a bow on it. <laughs> and a cool name too. A cool name too. Well, neat. Well, I'm, uh, I'm excited to be embarking on this journey. Um, as am i i need no excuse to reread name of the wind i'm I'm excited to reread it one chapter at a time with you oh i can't wait uh, going through this can't wait and uh we can we can keep whatever uh fast or slow pace uh each chapter is not going to take much to to go through and i think we'll probably keep these i think we'll what do you think time limit uh we're, we're running up on 20 minutes right here i kind of felt like 10, 20 minutes would be a, a good good bite size for folks to jump right into. Not going to do a lot of uh, preliminary. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Yep. Excellent. That's perfect. Excellent. Uh, all right. Uh, well, let's end with uh, well, anything else that we're reading outside of this. You reading anything other than law books, Brian? <laughs> no, I was going to say <laughs> just law books. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Oh, excellent. Did you read Liar's Poker? Uh, I have read about 10% of Liar's Poker by my Libby app. Uh, uh, slow going there. I'm reading an Ernest Hemingway book. I'm reading Hemingway for the first time. Oh, which one? Uh, his first book, The Sun Also Rises. Hmm. Uh, so my cadence right now, two chapters a day maybe, uh, is, is all I'm really doing. And they're short chapters too, so... Uh, not heavy, but not heavy on the reading, but getting it where I can. Well, let me know if he's any good. So far, I like him. He's uh, <laughs> he's, he's going places. He is to the point. Uh, I got turned on to him from a Twitter comment from this other author that I've been reading, that uh, Amor Towels, probably pronouncing it wrong. He wrote A Gentleman mm-hmm. in Russia, as well as Rules of Civility. And I've read them both, and they're excellent. And uh, 
both in story and character and in just the prose. He's a fantastic writer. Anyway, he mentioned Hemingway in one of his tweets. I said, oh, I should read Hemingway. I've heard of I'll him. Give that old fellow a try. <laughs> yeah. The only book of his I ever read and loved was um, The Old Man in the Sea. Yep. Um, and so all of those classics, you know, were so tied up with like high school stuff when I didn't really care. Yep. Um, and so it had to really grab me. And I, you know, we, I had been supposed to read others of his and I probably just got the cliff notes, but for whatever reason, I did start reading old man of the sea and actually read it and it hooked me, man. Mm -hmm. It's just a story about a guy who goes out, catches a fish and brings him home. That's the entire story right there. (laughs) But for whatever reason, I loved it. Nice. it's, It's funny. I've heard you say that before. And Old Man in the Sea has been on my list of I should read this for like a few years now. <laughs> I wonder what it, I wonder if it's any good. I'm sure it is. Classic. <laughs> it's a classic. All right. Uh, anything else to add before we cut it? We got to cut it. Cut it. <laughs> <laughs>